to another exciting Grimdark Tales podcast episode. Uh, I'm joined today again by the awesome Noel. Hey, awesome Eric. Hey, buddy. Um, so today we're going to continue a discussion that we've already kind of started, which is uh, we're just going to do sort of a deep dive unit by unit analysis of the Tau Codex because we both love Tau and we're both uh, just having fun talking about these fishy boys. So um, we did the elites choices last time. Uh, The elites choices, I think, are one of the richest sort of sources in the book for Tau options. They're definitely sort of the meat of the Tau army as far as like big, chunky favorites that everyone loves. you know, we had the things like the Ghost Keel, the Riptide, some tried and true classics like that. The the Crisis Battle Suit, the iconic sort of symbol of the Tau Empire, um, and some maybe less often seen ones like the Crute Shaper and Crutox and those kind of things. Um, kind of a, a nice wide smattering of of the things available to the Tau. But today. Yeah we're going to actually be discussing fast attack choices, which I suppose maybe are a little less uh, iconic portions of the Tau, but um, in their own way, very important. Uh, So yeah, um, we are just gonna go from front to back with the fast attack choices that are in the codex and just talk about each option and uh, give our thoughts on them. So let's uh, start at the beginning which is, uh, we're starting with the Pathfinder team. Um, I actually remember back in the day when the, the Tau first came about mm-hmm. and the Pathfinders were, um, I feel like they were a really uh, well-represented group, uh, even from the, the formative days of the, the Tau Empire, where they talked about how their fire teams would work in coordination with the Pathfinders and the Pathfinders would be these sort of scout units that would, um, entrench themselves in like concealed positions and do forward observations and stuff for the Tau Empire. And I feel like they've never really lost that part of their identity as an army. Um, mm. And I, I've always really loved that. Mm. Um, but uh, as far as, you know, how they function on the table and stuff, that's potentially a different story. So, um, Noel, what are your thoughts on Pathfinders? Um, honestly, I love them. Um, always have, always will. Um, like yourself when they first came out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember the original skulls. They haven't changed much in their look and aesthetic. I love the kind of elongated, um, the extra elongated helm they have. Mm, uh, um, just the kind of very dynamic posing. Um, even the, uh, the, the, the completely silly, um, over dynamic posing. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the lean on that one one pathfinder who was almost kind of you know he was trying to i don't know it's a, it's, it's a kind of running forward but because obviously- he may have been doing some yoga i think uh, yeah when i look at him maybe it was like an early um you know format on his helm to kind of you know with an anti-grav unit in there that was stopping him from like completely face palming himself yeah i think that may have been it there there was so much of a lean there that it was kind of like you know how are you actually you know staying upright uh, 
but you know, even, even aside from that one derby sculpt, um, um, I love them. Um, they've just been a brilliant, um, iconic unit. I think they serve one of the best purposes in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of, um, and I don't think, I think for such a diminutive um, unit, um, when you've got such powerhouses in the rest of the army, even despite that, I don't think it can be overstated enough just how needed they are in any tau force. They, I mean, I mean, I think remember when we were talking about the um, elites, the, the kind of you know the um, XV8 is it is like the iconic unit, but it's uh, the XV8 was such a workhorse. But yes. I think the Pathfinders really are the true workhorse <laughs> of the. Um, yeah the army just with the way they function and always have done because uh, really i mean nothing regardless of how good a unit is um in the in the codex for for the town um it's only ever as good as its marker life support uh, yeah. this is always being your cheapest best option to get those markers granted they are squishy um you know i mean they've always had like that five up t-shirt save you know four up in cover but let's face it the amount of ap minus one it's you know it's it's whatever <laughs> yeah exactly um, but i think they they've um they're, they're still just always such an essential part uh and i love the fact that they've never really lost any um flavor or options and even for you know such a small scout unit they've got so many options to kind of bolt onto them so even just in your normal games of 40k um, while they might not be the most cost effective you can add a lot of flavor into your army just through your pathfinder teams just with the drone supports the extra specialist weapons you can give the units as well and not to mention the drone uh, the extra special uh, pathfinder drones as well i am for eight points a pop um, for each one, 16 points for the two. Um, I find that I regularly just include them if I've got the spare points, just because every now and again in those clutch moments, it's just like they they just shine. Um, yeah. And they make, make your army just sing, you know, and for an eight-point drone, giving kind of, you know, anything around it, say, for example, with a pulse accelerator, mm-hmm. um, that extra six inches, um you know for your your pulse uh, weapons for your fire warriors or or even your pathfinders or any local drones around giving them that extra you know a reach um is just invaluable um you know and that's just for eight points and that's multi-unit it's uh yeah it's a total win yeah i i completely agree i mean the pulse accelerator drone this is the only place you can get it is if you take mm-hmm. pathfinders so the pulse accelerator drone uh for those who don't know it increases the range of certain pulse weapons like the tau pulse rifle and the pulse carbine mm-hmm. so like your infantry standard weapons i think the breachers are like the only guys whose guns are excluded um, yeah but uh these these uh longer range than that weapons uh anything within uh three inches of that drone their pulse weapon range is increased by six inches so mm-hmm. if you combine that with a fire blade and your fire warriors are getting three shots at rapid fire range with a pulse accelerator drone, which puts their range out to, I think, 18 inches for rapid fire. Yeah. So yeah, um, you, within rapid fire, you would be within 18 inches. Yeah. Yeah. So your fire warriors would be getting three shots at 18 inch range each. Mm-hmm. Um, and fire warriors are dirt cheap for the work they can do. So when you 
even just for the pulse accelerator drone, I think Pathfinders are worth it. Oh um, yeah, totally. So so good. The mm. Grav inhibitor drone I think is more situational, but definitely still worth considering because you're talking about an army that absolutely despises getting in close combat. Yeah. Like, it's it is everything to stop your opponent from getting into close combat. So when you can take a drone that makes it even harder for them to get close, and that drone is attached to your units that are typically most forward, mm -hmm. um, it's I think it's it's absolutely worth considering, especially for how cheap it is. Yeah, um, um, for eight points, it's um, it, it is. I mean, like I say, for the sixteen points combined for those specialist drones, it's definitely worth it. Um, because I think even if you're playing Dynamic Town, you've always got that static castly unit. But it's, you know, it's, it's still very versatile. Um, I mean, when you combine certain things, like um, obviously like Moncar, where you can um, move and still shoot with no penalty um, for, you know, your assault weapons. Uh, so, you know, with not just fire warriors, but um, your gun drones. So mm -hmm. have a good, decent uh, blob of, you know, uh, gun drones, uh, fire warriors, plus your pathfinders as well, if you're not using the marker lights, to be able to just advance that threat range just becomes ridiculous. So kind of first turn with even just a quick, simple Moncar move um, and just doing a quick advance. You, yep. And by the time it gets to your first round of shooting, then um, you can pretty much hit anywhere on the board. Um, yep very easily um and literally you know maximize on that um you know that, that that extra kind of you know those extra shots yeah um you know especially if you're right on the line for example playing on yep. dawn or so you've got that 24 inch kind of no man's land to begin with yeah exactly you're six inches you took it to 18 um so you know it's uh it's it's very easy to get up and kind of maximize damage very quickly yep um going back to the um the grab inhibitor uh, mm -hmm. i think it's also again um you say a situational i think it, it i think it's a bit more um it's not it's not as effective um because you can't generally help um some stuff getting into combat anyway uh yeah. you've got that kind of screening however if you use certain things in conjunction with that grab inhibitor then it can really hurt your opponent um, for example, I mean, obviously you've got a minus D3 inches for the grab inhibitor drone if someone charges you right. um, or someone charges a unit within, I think it's 12 inches of that grab inhibitor drone. Um, so D3 inches, you know, okay, so you might not get quite so lucky and it's only an inch extra loss. Mm -hmm. um but then you know with that kind of thing you if you've got a commander or a battle suit unit close by to that castle which yep. by in, in any true form you would because you'd either have broadside a riptide sitting out back or even a commander um you know just issuing orders and kind of you know just uh keeping the um the troops um in line yep. uh, um you can add the stratagem that repulsor impact field Mm -hmm. um one cp um and obviously if it, char it has to be a charging a battle suit unit for example so right. but i mean say for example you've got broadsides you know your enemies can try and go for those broadsides first so you yeah. can have that lying out as a bait um put the repulsor impact field on you put the grab inhibitor drone on all of a sudden you've at least got a minimum of four inch reduction on that enemy charge so mm -hmm. um they're gonna have to get 
ridiculously lucky with their dice rolls or yeah. be basically almost in your grill but not enough to, to basically kind of you know to get that charge in right uh, um you know so i mean say for example you've got to drop in nine inches um so you've got to make an eight inch charge you're going to least reduce that by half right. <laughs> uh, so i mean you know you either got to get like say you know you've got to be rolling kind of you know box cars or you know you've got to kind of you know move in close and at that point you're within so much rapid fire range you might as well not have bothered <laughs> so um, it could be a real deterrent or catch a lot of people unawares i think yeah. Uh, yeah yeah definitely um and then another thing to consider like you said briefly at the beginning is that the pathfinders actually have access to some of the scarier infantry guns mm -hmm. um, that the Tau can take. I mean, the rail rifle is actually really good um, mm -hmm. as a sniper weapon. Yeah. Uh, it's it's maybe one of the best even. I mean, in, talking in terms of like kill team, mm -hmm. uh, rail rifle is incredible. Um, in oh, terms, yeah. yeah, in terms of 40K, I think it's still definitely worth considering um, mm. the fact that, you know, it has the mortal wound output, but yeah. I think in addition to that, it's way scarier than a regular sniper rifle. Cause like, even if the mortal wound doesn't happen, it's still a scary gun. Whereas like sniper weapons almost rely on that mortal wound to be scary. Usually, yeah. um, you know, your standard sniper rifle is just like a strength usually like a strength four or even strength three gun with no AP. Mm. And you're just hoping you get that mortal wound. Um, with the rail rifle, it's like, if you don't get the mortal wound, it's still a terrifying weapon. Mm. Uh, not it, to mention it's rapid fire too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, obviously in your full games of 4UK, it doesn't have the sniper ability, but which it kind of like, I'd, I'd almost find a bit of a shame. Uh, yeah. Because in kill team, like a, a, a rail rifle sniper um, is such a powerhouse. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you get those shots in with a mark flight support and you're just deleting models. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I'd say for that extra kick, um, it's definitely worthwhile having. I mean, I know that um, I think the most popular opinion is for people to go with the ion rifle, which is the other specialist. Yeah. Uh, gun which is you know obviously has the same range sort of rapid fire one mm -hmm. uh, unless you overcharge it um but let's face it you're not gonna really be moving your um, pathfinders around that much once you've got them installed somewhere right uh, um but um but yeah i mean i think if you're happy to um you know you're you know it's like over it's your plasma unit on a guardsman isn't it you know why wouldn't you overcharge because it doesn't cost that much right um, I suppose it's the same principle for a Pathfinder with Ion, because um, obviously if you're chucking out an overcharge shot, it's a heavy D3, a strength 8, which, you yep. know, is pretty vicious, but then it's only AP minus 1. Right. So you're, you're kind of relying on, and when you're chucking out those kind of high strength shots, you need the AP to really make it stick, or yep. because, you know, obviously they, more often than not, they have, you know, a higher armor. Yes. Um, and even if they've got a three plus armor save, AP minus one, there's still a 50 50 chance they're going to pass that save. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can understand why Ion might be a bit more popular. Uh, mm -hmm. 
But for me, I have always sworn by the rail rifles. Yeah. Um, it's that, you know, while you might, I mean, because you wouldn't be chucking them into your heavy armor anyway, that you've got other guns for that elsewhere in the army. Mm-hmm. But to have that extra strength, plus the fact that it's got an absolutely crippling AP of minus four, exactly. uh, that D3 damage a pop and the yep. six, and the mortal wound potential, um, which is very lacking throughout the rest of the codex anyway. Yeah. Uh, they, you kind of need it where you can get it because um, every little helps. Um, yeah. And I think kind of, you know, that extra damage potential, I think kind of, you know, for the fact it's, it's still a strength six gun, it's, uh, it's definitely worthwhile taking. Uh, yeah. And with the price reduction as well, um, mm-hmm. that it got points, um, yeah, um, so much more better. Because beforehand, I still used to love taking them, but it was always such a, oh, yeah. it hurt because yeah. you know, each each kind of pathfinder with a rail gun was like almost 30 points and it was um yeah by the time you were in three to a pathfinder unit it was um you know you, you weren't playing for um you know being the most competitive you were just mm-hmm. in there for the lols yeah. um now it's actually a viable choice uh, yes um, and again, the same with the iron rifle. Those reductions were definitely needed. Um, but yeah, I think an unlooked for, unlooked for area of extra kick in your army. Um, it's definitely a good thing. Yeah, I uh, think so too. Yeah. I'd say the one other thing as well, which is um, quite good, um, although I've got to confess, I haven't used it since the very early days of 7th when mm-hmm. Farsight Enclaves was like a codex supplement. Right. Because you had the recon drone, which you can add, you used to be able to do it as a warscaper drone because it mm-hmm. had slightly different rules. Um, but the recon drone is um, again, it's, it's 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 kind of a bit of a crazy, weird. I don't know. It's 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 almost like the shady uncle that no one talks about in the room. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I don't know. Um, I, I I can't really think outside a kill team why you would put it into a game unless you were going pure pure fluff narrative uh yeah yeah it's um it's i i mean don't get me wrong i mean you know it's a much tankier drone uh with two wounds it's got you know um um it's it's obviously got you know the um the burst cannon which is you know quite cool um the recon suite kind of like really what makes it so Mm -hmm. um obviously unit in the new rules now it's units making saves against attacks made by a pathfinder team that was in three inches of a recon drone do not gain the bonuses to their saving throws of being in cover you yeah. this is kind of like i don't know i mean with enough i mean really with your with it's it's one of those real real clutch moments where it's just like i don't really see it happening yeah because you've got to have that recon drone right up front and almost in your enemy's grill and not get shot off the board Right. So in order for that recon suite to actually benefit, because then you've got literally, uh, you've got the recon drone right next to the enemy unit, and then you need to be chucking that Pathfinder's attacks into that unit, therefore not meaning it's not going to be using its marker lights, and it's going to be using its carbines. But then you need to get the marker light support from elsewhere in order to make those, you know, those pulse carbines sing. Exactly. Um, but then, you know, basically, why wouldn't you just be chucking the marker lights into that unit anyway and then just killing it with everything else in the army? <laughs> right. Uh, it's kind of one of those. They've left it in there and I don't think it really serves any purpose. 
Um, I don't know what you think about it. No, I feel very similar. I mean, I think the recon drone, it's, it's definitely a cool thing in theory. And I like it a lot from like a thematic or narrative perspective, the idea that the Pathfinder teams deploy with just this weird sort of array of gadgets and gizmos to do their job. Mm. Um, I think that's like a really cool, you know, it's almost like they set up like forward operation, like positions and in the field and they just, it's almost like they lay out like a table with all their tools on it or something. And mm. those tools that take the form of drones and, and all kinds of wacky guns and optics and scanning equipment and marker lights and all this stuff. Mm. And, um, I really like that from a storytelling perspective that they have access to all these crazy things in the field. But from a gameplay perspective, I do think the recon drone is like, it's one of those things that if it were just attached to the unit and you didn't pay for it, like it was just automatically a part of the unit, the same mm. as like taking a, you know, a Shasui in the unit or something, then mm. it's like, oh, well, I'm not paying for it. It's just there. And then it's just a built-in ability that the unit has. But the fact that you have to choose whether or not you're taking it is like, why would you ever, mm. um, given the, the you, you know, the actual utility of Pathfinders in a game of 40K? Yeah, um, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, to give a little bit of history on it, I kind of understand, but it just serves no purpose now. Um, exactly. Because, I mean, beforehand, you'd chuck the recon drone and you, you could attach it into a devil fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually the top of the recon drone actually fits in the um, the cupola at the top. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. um, and then so kind of obviously you deploy it when you're kind of doing your, you're charging it up there, then they're disembarking and then you're throwing down a load of marker lights. Yep. But because marker lights have got like a 36 inch range anyway, you kind of got to wonder why you're doing that unless you're right. throwing it up there for, you know, obviously a quick assault unit. Yeah. Um, but now you've got the breaches that fulfill that role so much better. You just mm -hmm. don't need to have, you don't ever have that situation where you're kind of, you know, you're being aggressive with your pathfinders. You're yeah. kind of, you know, you're sitting them back in ruins or kind of at a midpoint where they got a good view over the battlescape. And, you know, their job's obviously laying down the laser pointers and kind of, you know, making the rest of your army look good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's kind of one of these kind of weird hangovers from like previous older generations, and it's kind of, I don't, you know, I, I suppose it's kept in there just for kicks and nostalgia. But I just, yeah, I'd say ditch it away from the sprue and kind of <laughs> and just not have it necessarily anymore, unless you yep. get the game again to make it so it has some kind of viable use. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's one of those bloody um idiosyncrasies kind of you know that you know a lot of armies have um, yeah 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 because <laughs> they you know i think it comes with the territory of completely rewriting a rule system the way they did from seventh to eighth mm. um whereas like when you transfer from sixth to seventh or something and everything sort of generally works the same mm. um it's it's easier i think to shoehorn in old models even yeah. if you're changing rules but when you make a transition as huge as eighth, I think it's just going to, unfortunately, here and there, there are going to be units that are just forced into obsolescence. So mm. um, this is definitely, I think, an example, maybe yeah. the prime example, really, in the Tau Codex, other than, I don't know, Vespid and 
and some crude stuff or something. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but we can talk about Vespid in, the, in a minute. But I yeah. did want to ask, uh, Noel, do you, the way you use Pathfinders, um, do you deploy them with their Vanguard positioning or do you put them in uh, transports? Uh, how, do you, how do you use your Pathfinders? Um, for me, they usually stay close to the castle element. Um, um, I tend to be slightly more aggressive and if there's a ruin or something that I can use the Vanguard um, rule to basically jump and move them up into, uh, um, I'll do that. Um, but it's kind of um, doesn't really work as a fake out because as soon as I'm putting uh, deploying the unit on the board, then kind of anyone who knows me and knows how I play will know I'll just basically do that. Um, but <laughs> because it's just why wouldn't you? Especially you know if you're taking that a five up save to a four up, you know you would. Yeah. Um, but I never tend to. I mean, I don't actually personally own any of the tanks um in mine um how mm. army i've always used battle suits and functioned more towards that side of things okay. uh, but i i had a, back in back when i started i did think about um maybe using um pathfinders for that kind of you know fisher fury type thing that used to be um a tactic where mm -hmm. you yeah just load them all up in devil fishes bolt them up there disembark them and then just you know throw down a, a wickering hail of fire just right in someone's face yeah and uh, and then use them as cheap screens mm -hmm. uh, but because they're so easily deleted anyway i just think that the best option for me and the way i play my army is definitely just to hang them back um uh, you know let the enemy come to you it, it you know by doing that it's um it's it's throwing um it's throwing kind of you know just uh enough in the way where i like to make people think about right what am i going to try and take out in this army right um and the reason being for that and again we'll come to that later because we're going to discuss it in the fast attacks um is i never tend to just take pathfinders mm -hmm. uh, um so kind of you know i need to i, I like to try and make my opponent think about kind of you know well i need to take up a mark light support to kind of neuter his army a bit more so so i go for the pathfinders but you know it's 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 and making it so um they have to really think about what they need to take out yep and if they do then obviously it then could impact them and you know if i'm playing tactically sound that day uh, which is you know 50 50. <laughs> um and then making them obviously hurt for it if i've got my you know my other units in another position to kind of you know just draw them out sure uh, and, and then kind of you know yeah just make them hurt for trying to um trying to you know at least uh have the samaritan to try and take out some of my units <laughs> right. yeah yeah um so when you use pathfinders the the reason i was asking is because i feel like deploying them via devilfish or anything like that anything where you intend to move them i feel like can be really self-defeating for them mm. um since obviously their marker light is a heavy weapon um and even if you were to benefit from i mean you you know you could do montka for a turn mm -hmm. and you could negate that um and but the other thing is that even if you get the marker light support that you need to move and fire heavy without penalty, it's mm -hmm. like, why are you then firing more marker lights at the same target? Yeah. Um, 
so there's i feel like there's this thing where pathfinders sort of have to be uh, a, a static weapons platform mm. um to be you know at, at their maximum potential yeah um, whereas drones can move and fire their marker lights without penalty um mm. and if you give them a drone controller uh, they're hitting at the same ballistic skill as Pathfinders, or if you put a drone controller nearby. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like Pathfinders are in any way made obsolete by drones, or do you feel like they both have a good place? Um, for me, I like to use both. I think they have a good place just because the extra tools they have, because um, yeah. they do have the extra tools. And, you know, like um, we did explain kind of with the, um, I think we both agree on it, you know, wholeheartedly, um, which is um, you need to rely so much more on synergy and so many units within the, within the decks itself um, yeah. have that synergy there. Um, so, you know, you can never treat one unit just as an insular kind of one thing. It's always in conjunction with something else. Um, I think, you know, like we discussed, so with the, with the extra drones, with the specialist weapons that they have um, and being able to provide extra support around what you lack in the mobility because, you know, you make up for with the extra, with the extra rules. Um, yeah. And again, touching back from the beginning, you'll always, I think any Tau army will always have that castle element um you know that fire base there that you know so even if you're playing quite um aggressive and mobile town mm -hmm. uh, you'll always have that kind of certain element there somewhere in the force uh, yeah. just because you'll need to provide that support for those um for those units that are getting up close and um basically you know doing that front close assault thing um yeah. so yeah um i'd say yeah, a bit of both. Um, I don't think that I, I think they do lack for the movement, but I yeah. think warranted and not not unnecessary um, because you know they, they they fulfill their role well because you want them slightly up front um, so they can provide the best cover for the rest of the army um, and you know maximize their potential. Yeah. Um, but they're cheap enough that kind of you know you don't feel too sorry if they get you know blasted off the board um because you know you've got the numbers there and like i say with the extra help they got then you know it's never a bad thing yeah, um yeah, yeah that, I'd, I'd say yeah i'd say that's kind of really my opinion on them i mean yeah. what about yourself i mean do you do, do you do you find that you ever or have you before the breaches came around and made that kind of element the funds do you play them aggressively yeah so I will say that recently my Taoists have been incorporating pretty much exclusively marker like drones. Mm -hmm. And that is not because pathfinders are not worth taking. Um, I think it's, it's more just that it's, it's just the way I built my list that it makes more sense that I can have drones that um, sort of hover around and support my battle suits because battle suits are like such so much the core of my mm -hmm. army. And then also um, can act as you know I can I can shirk off wounds as ablative on the drones if I need to. So I feel like the drones provide a very specific sort of augmentation for my list. But I would say like as a whole, Tau lists benefit from both of them in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, as Pathfinders go, I think I would play them um, back 
you know, like when I do use them, I think I, I, I place them further back in my army. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want them to just get wasted uh, first turn by small arms fire. And they do go down so easy mm -hmm. um, because of that toughness three and five up save. I don't, I always play with, um, I can't get the, the fluff bunny out of my head. So <laughs> I always play like each Tau life is sort of sacred and valuable. Mm -hmm. And that drones can function in a more expendable way, and that ta if Tau were going to use like shield troops, they would they would do it with drones. So yeah. if I use Tau infantry, um, I try to use them very defensively, and um, even breachers I sort of use in like a defensive capacity, where mm -hmm. I sort of just keep them in cover and I keep them hidden. And then, like, when the enemy gets really close and they're verging on charging, the breaches sort of pull out from cover and they're like a last line sort of extra bristly aspect mm. to the gun line. Um, and the Pathfinders, I think, mm. because their primary function is marker light support and not just a bunch of pulse carbines, mm. um, I like to keep them back. And they're, I let their, you know, pulse accelerator drones sort of move to my fire warriors and provide uh help there and then the pathfinders I, I try to just put in a place that is as much a you know um a crow's nest within my own deployment zone as i can find yeah and just get them as much line of sight as i can um i also think that you know your play style might might change based on which uh sept you're using and uh i always use Cecilia. And yeah. um, I, I always thought, you know, if I used Borcon, maybe it would be even better to do what I do and sort of back them up um, mm -hmm. because they get that extra six inches on their marker lights, yeah. um, which is which is awesome. But uh, Cecilia, I think, is just more my I really like their play style. I like the extra leadership and the rerolling thing. I like that sort of stoicness that is imbued in those rules. Mm -hmm. And um, I. I think that that actually is still really useful for a unit full of marker lights, you know, getting that one extra reroll when they each have one shot, each one is, is pretty critically important. Yeah. Um, Doesn't make getting, it count. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I tend to use them to answer your question in a long winded way. Um, I tend to use them quite defensively and more as like a backline. I tend to put them sort of near my broadsides um, because both units have, you know, decent range, and they both need a lot of line of sight. Um, I run my broadsides with uh, railguns, mm -hmm. so um, and plasma. So the plasma it, it sort of functions almost like the way the breachers do, where for the most part the railguns are what is in range. But as the enemy gets closer and closer, more guns start opening up, um, with the idea that the tau sort of are almost like a prickly animal uh, in defensive mode or something. And the closer yeah. you get, the, the more threatening it is. Um, and I like to keep the, the Pathfinders back there with them because that's the same place that will have a lot of line of sight. Um, I try to make it a place that get, you know gives them a cover save of some kind. Mm -hmm. And there's usually drones have ring nearby too. So if mm -hmm. I need to pass wounds off or something like that, they're, that, they're there as well. Yeah. Um, and you know the pulse carbine is like a very 
last resort kind of option, I would say, for my Pathfinders. Mm -hmm. um, but I just really don't like them being blown off the table, you know, the turn after they do their first thing. And I feel like that is so often an inevitability because they can almost be deleted with as like an afterthought yeah. um, by most armies. And I, and I, it just makes me so sad to, mm. you know, think of these guys who put all this training into these like special, this special purpose on the table. And then yeah. the idea that it's, it's actually a suicide mission yeah. every time. It's just yeah. so sad to me. No, this is true. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, their mortality rate is high in the fluff, but I mean, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, just by nature of the beast, but yeah, it's um, it's I I, I do get what you mean because it's just like while, I mean, while some units in the Tau army are quite cheap, and Pathfinder's being one of them, mm -hmm. uh, especially for the purpose they serve, it's um, it's it, it is it's quite every every life's a little sacred, uh, yeah. every yeah it's it, it is one of those um and so i think we play fairly similar styles i think yeah. I th i'm potentially maybe a bit more aggressive with mine sometimes than from what you've described but um <laughs> i also I, su I suppose the one last thing is um uh with the deployment side of things like sometimes and again it's one of those mind games when you're deploying um because you've got the vanguard yes sometimes i like the fake out um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of, you know, you're putting them fairly aggressive, and you're kind of, you may be wanting your opponents to lean to one side of the table. Yep. So you deploy them just off from center and kind of fairly in advance, and then knowing that when you do the vanguard movement, um, instead of bringing them up into a ruin or something, you actually use the seven inches and basically chuck them straight back. Yeah. So um, yeah, they're like the behind, you know, behind your fire warriors or in the castle or something like that, you know. So that way, it gives that extra movement that your enemy then has to come round um, to, you know, attack your castle. Um, you're kind of almost forcing them into one side um, yeah. to actually bring, you know, that they have to go round to you. Yeah. Uh, so it just allows you to maybe have a bit more board control and movement if you have to back up or away from that yeah so yeah i mean that's um again it's a little thing it doesn't always work because some people see through it some people just don't recognize it or think like that so it's a kind of irrelevance but you know sometimes it works yeah uh, it's it, i think it's always a gambit but i think that's also it it is inherently even like in the narrative that's a that's a gambit kind of tactic mm -hmm. and i think that you know commanders who make bold choices like that they can pay off or they can backfire and i think mm. um it's okay if either thing happens it doesn't feel you know unfitting it you you took a risk and yeah. uh, and you know it's a high risk high reward scenario i mm. think um also to that point there is a way that you can keep them alive even if you forward deploy them and i think it's by making uh, other forward elements be more pressing like stealth suits and um yeah ghost kills and stuff like that because yeah. like people do tend to try to take out stealth suits with small arms fire mm. and uh so often that can end up being like a big waste for them because they can be hyper resilient with that minus one to hit yeah four two wounds three up save if they're in cover it's two up um you know they're not going to necessarily die to las gunfire mm. um 
but they may end up drawing the kinds of units that would also shoot at Pathfinders. So yeah. depending on how you play, if you're really aggressive, if you have a lot of forward elements, um, there are definitely ways that you can keep your Pathfinders alive with yeah. other distraction elements and stuff like yeah. that. Again, kind of with the um, deployment fake out thing, um, you can use it to the best. The best usage of that I've ever had is one game I had where you it was the I go you go scenario of deployment, um, mm -hmm. which is your standard games. Um, so as long as that stays a thing, it's a usable usable tactic. Yep. Um, which is you put your pathfinders down first, play them fairly aggressively. Yep. With the idea that instead of bringing them further forward on the vanguard or up into the ruins like they think your enemy is probably going to think they're going to do, right? Um, you know, you're obviously going to bring it back into your gun line um, or further back, you know, among the ranks. Yep. Um, but by doing it on one side of the board, you mm -hmm. then thinking you're a point well, if you're taking turns in the movement, I mean, you can basically get them to put their first unit down on one side of the table. Um, you can then compound that by obviously then deploying your stealth suits right up in ruins or as close as possible to the opponent's deployment zone as possible. Mm -hmm. So because then when they have to deploy further units later on down the line, you're encroaching on their deployment zone and where they can actually be. Because, like, say, for example, there's a, you know, again, if there's a ruin somewhere close by to the enemy deployment zone, even if it's like a couple of inches away from the 12 inches, yep. you've got um, your stealth suits there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, then any of your opponent's deployment can't be within nine inches of those stealth suits. Exactly. <laughs> so you're basically putting a few semicircles in your enemy's deployment um where they can't actually use they can't so you're basically almost sat you're boxing them in um yeah. right from the start um and yeah you might end up throwing away your cell suits um sure yeah but by doing that you're then giving yourself more board control um or even forcing your opponent if i mean if they got like a huge horde army that they then have to put stuff in reserves that they don't want to um right because they just physically don't have the room because they can't deploy. Um, so it can really, it can impact and it can impact your opponent's game uh, straight from the off before like the first turn started by doing that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, there's something I've used a great effect on one game. And um, it's uh, not a tactic I often remember because I have the brain of a badger. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, every now and again, I remember it and it's, uh, and sometimes it pays off and it's a wonderful thing that people just, <laughs> frustrated like before they've even started it's just like grr <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like that that is the kind of thing where i feel like if people don't know you're capable of it mm. it can like almost set things off to a tone of like they're not going to have a good game uh which is you know sad you don't want to make anyone have a bad time when they're playing no, um but, but it is a really cool tactic and i think it's something the tau can put to great use without feeling super overpowered mm. um the idea of bottlenecking your opponent into positions that you find ideal for line of sight and firing positions and stuff like that is mm -hmm. so awesome for the Tau. Yeah. Um, it's just such a great tactic to use. It's a great place to be. Um, so I think the more you can utilize that, you know, the more power to you, especially because like that's a tricky tactic to pull off. That's a that's a very 
cerebral, hmm. uh, logistically complex, you know, maneuver. Yeah, um, and just from beginning as well. It's um, I, I, I don't think it ever, I don't think it'll ever upset anyone that kind of it ruins their game or day. Um, right. But it does. It, it, like I say, it's a mind game. It puts them on the back foot already because they're just thinking, you know, damn, actually, I've just been caught out. I can't use half my deployment zone. So they're already thinking about how do I compensate for that before they've even started to think about, right, how can I just basically get out of this bottleneck I've, I've just found myself in? Yep. And by doing so, you're kind of, yeah, you're just forcing the hand. So, um, you know, making, you know, an enemy potentially make mistakes or kind of, you know, tripping up over themselves. So that way it essentially gives you more time to, um, you know, get your positions in you know, yeah. and, you know, the distance in where you want it gives you the board control that you need. Yep. Uh, or, or you just bust their plan up and you have to make them reconsider what they're doing. And that in itself is a huge advantage. So, mm. um, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, um, again, especially with, um, like you mentioned, with the Celsius, and we talked about in the Elites vid, any, um, sorry, vid um, um, chat, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, many opponents waste small arms fire or have to use a crazy amount of small arms fire just to delete said Celsius off the board. And, you know, by doing that so they can then move further out because obviously it's just like, well, you just made me lose my half deployment zone. I'm going to take those off the board first. It's, right. a, natu it's, a, it's a natural kind of instinct to do it. Um, but by doing so, then obviously you're taking the attention away from the rest of your army. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, you know, it's, um, you know, yeah, you're throwing them away potentially. Um, but, you know, you might not be if you... Again, you know, using other tactics later on down the line, play cannily enough. But you know, it's um, I think it's a yeah, it's a, it's a fun little thing to do every now and again. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And it just, I think, speaks also to the massive flexibility afforded by the Tau in in Eighth Edition and and previous editions as well. That you know, the army has so much synergy. But if you use, if you think about all the elements of your army as a cohesive sort of singular thing mm. um then it can function in ways that a lot of armies just can't really do mm. and i think that it makes that's part of what makes the tau so unique i really do think there's such a unique army yeah um, and the, the pathfinders i think are like a very strikingly unique tau unit like there yeah. aren't many armies that have anything that even kind of resembles the pathfinder very so, true um yeah so that's i think that's a good a good uh amount of conversation we've had about them they're a super <laughs> diverse unit so i feel like it was worth sort of going in depth about them discussing some tactics you could do with them and yeah. talking about their different loadout options and war gear and stuff like that hmm. um so the next thing in the book would be the piranha, piranha. Um, which <laughs> Which I, I feel like this is such a rarely seen unit mm. um, in in games, and uh, I love the model, mm. um, but I I don't personally own any, um, and you know I I have some reasons for that. But no, I'd I'd like to hear maybe first what you think of the piranha if you do have them if you use them. Um, I do like to get my piranha out every now and again mm -hmm. um that's not a euphemism uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> um 
it's I, I bought when I first bought um, my first box set of Tower. It was the old Battle Force set. Yep. Um, so obviously it had like you no know, um, Fire Warriors, uh, Squad of Stealth suits, or um, um, no, it wasn't stealth suits. Squad of Battle suits. A um, mm-hmm. few little things. I think maybe include stealth suit and include a piranha. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've only ever had the one piranha. Uh, yeah. um, but I so as such, they've never really. It, it's never really performed hugely well for me because, like anything, if you only take one or something. Um, yeah, that's your first mistake, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but even still, I do like to take just a single solitary one out for a spin every again. Um, uh, and I find it can be sometimes when it doesn't get instantly just deleted off the board, um, it could be such a useful, um, such a useful tool um, in the army. Um, and I can see the potential for having you know, a fair chunk of them because yeah. they're fairly affordable. Um, and I think it's one of those unsung units where if you have enough of them on the table, um, they can really upset, uh, again, someone's plans. I mean, they are they are obviously more expensive uh, per model to throw away. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got a very fast moving or, um, you know, quite close combat oriented army that has to basically march up the field uh, and isn't going to kind of basically deep strike in and, you know, uh, then they are brilliant for screening. Uh, they are amazing for screening. Um, obviously, with the Prana, you've got the burst cannon as standard, but you've got the you can upgrade the fusion. But the yep. fact that you've got two drones there per Piranha, mm-hmm. um, and obviously each gun drone is chucking out four shots at 18 inches to the closest unit, yeah. um, can't be can't be undersold. I mean, for a 10-point model, if you're buying them kind of, you know, in a drone unit, um, but to have two of those on a piranha that can detach and then you can then basically have it as a screen have your have your drones as a screen yeah um it's insanely good because you know i mean you're a piranha it's got an assault weapon anyway so um you can move it 18 plus advance it yep um and then the next go assuming that kind of you know the enemy can't get to you quite quick enough you can then just boom straight away detach the units uh the, the the drones that become in their own right per piranha a separate a separate thing yeah um yeah. so again you can you know uh opponents have to rely on multi-charging or you know um you know if they don't realize that all the drones are technically per per piranha a separate unit in its own right yeah. uh, <laughs> um then it can really upset people if they just go oh yeah i'm charging this those drones there uh you know it's just like well you know okay well fair enough you're doing that and all of a sudden it's just like well you know obviously you don't because you know as a nice person you just go you know each one's a separate unit but if you wanted to be that guy um (laughs) you can just go okay yeah no that's fine but you didn't declare it against the others so me 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 and just basically just you know pulled that close combat unit and kill two drones and we're just going to now just move away and shoot you um But no, um, so yeah, going back to it, you can use it as great screens. And even if you don't detach, because they've got that wedge shape, um, mm-hmm. they've got that nice kind of, you know, um, you know, wide front to them. Um, 
they do they're just like you they, they form a beautiful screen you put like you know even three of them together um you know with kind of like you know a small little distance apart and it's like a wall yeah yeah i mean i mean you you've literally got you know pretty much a foot possibly you know a bit more mm-hmm. um that they either have to go through or move around um, in order to get to the rest of your army so they provide a really great speed bump um yeah. if you wanted to throw them away um <laughs> And they, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've got a lot of um, movement that generally I find just lacks elsewhere because while there's, you know, there's a lot of mobility in the Tau army, not so much obviously that they used to be now that jump, shoot, jump isn't a thing. Right. Uh, but they do have that extra mobility that just lacks elsewhere. So if for objective grabbing, they're perfect towards the end because they're fairly tanky at six wounds and toughness five. Yes. Um, you know, put them with a four up arm save and cover as well, turns to a three up. Means that, you know, you've you've got a fair amount of DACA to have to put into them to remove them as a threat. Yeah. Um, especially if you've got them in numbers. Um I think they're great to do a flanking maneuver because if you equip them with fusion, then you know, again with the right marker like support, then you're chucking kind of, you know, um fusion shots into some something tanky. For example, or something needs taking out. Um, um, you know, again, they provide that great utility. Um, I love the fact that in this edition, for very little, they are an amazing source of um, seek missiles. Oh yeah, yeah, which, definitely. Which is the one thing that is very much overlooked with them, because each piranha can take two seeker missiles. Yep. Um, granted, they're one shot, five point weapons each, but again, so say so you've got three. Um, you've then got six if you're equipping them out with fusion and two seeker missiles. I think they're about 78 points. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, 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 is not, it's not the cheapest thing, but it's not ridiculously expensive, okay. uh, in my opinion, anyway. Um, I don't think they're, mo- I think when you're kitting it out to the nines, it's not that expensive. You're right. um, and then, say, for example, you're going to blow your load early. Um, you know, on see and just literally first term, just you know, unleash all the seeker missiles. Right. Um, you know, those seeker missiles itself, heavy one, sends two inches range, strength eight, AP minus two, D6 damage. You're chucking all that out really early. Um, you're kind of you can really lay some hurt down uh, very early on. Yeah. Uh, if not yeah. due to um you know, uh, you can take the take take some heavy hitters down a bracket or two. Uh, yeah, I, I realistically, I mean that that number of seeker missiles and fusion has the potential to cripple or destroy a super heavy if you get lucky. Yeah, um, um, and they're great for um, horde control as well. Um, again, yeah. using that speed bump if you weren't going to have the fusion, you just take them with the burst cannon. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you got four, eight, you, you know, each piranha is knocking out 12 strength, five shots, um, you know, so it's a unit in itself, um, you know, like, uh, you know, um, the amount of, you know, Dacre can churn out for one model. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Which I think is, yeah, it's, you know, I think it's, um, it's a great little, um, unit. I just don't think you see them often enough because they don't, I think on first kind of look, they kind of seem a bit different and you don't they don't, you don't really see how they'll fit in with the rest of the army right um but i think it's um i think in the right numbers definitely um you can 
really make quite a unique kind of thing from them and i'd, I'd love to see more of them um yeah to the extent where i know personally with my tau army i mean granted i've got my demons finishing off oh, just about finished off now um <laughs> i've got you know death guard to paint but when I do revisit the tower, which I will be doing after, um, I one of the first purchases I'm going to do is literally buy at least two more, uh, potentially four. So yeah. if I could chuck a unit of five piranhas out, then um, I think it will be, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Just as a distraction unit, it's kind of, you know, just literally just throw them up there and... Um, be that kind of distraction car effects almost kind of yes. it's just an instant thing that someone's going to have to deal with um <laughs> um which i think would be a great thing and a very cheap way to kit out like you know an outrider um because you could just have like you know sit five of them six of them easily um, oh yeah separate units. Yeah. yeah 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 and um and yeah um and then kind of each one's its own separate unit so you've got to deal with each one's each one kind of in its own right um yep. yeah yeah i think it can be enough of pain in someone's behind to um kind of have to deal with by throwing them up there straight away um but yeah that's that, that's generally what i think of them um mm-hmm. in my in my rambly way mm. <laughs> what about yeah. yourself so yeah i i i love the piranhas i don't own any personally but that is really just if i don't own a tau unit it's more often than not just because like i created a specific army Mm. and i i knew the things that i would want so i don't have like an excess of units beyond like my 2000 point list Mm. um but piranhas i think are a totally viable option um i think to to the point you were saying before the Tau have a ton of maneuverability, but not a ton of speed. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the difference. Like a battlesuit is super maneuverable. Uh, most battlesuits have like an eight inch range mm. and they ignore terrain because they fly. Mm. Um, and they also, you know, the, the other benefits of, of having fly are there too. But um, the Piranha is one of the only like truly fast things in the army. Um, it can zip around. It's very quick, and all of its guns are assault weapons. So, um, other than the seeker missiles, of course. Yeah. So, like you were saying, I feel like there's basically two two ways to use the unit. So, if you give them, if you take like, let's say you take three, mm-hmm. um, and you give them all burst cannons, and and they have the drones, and then you you don't give them seeker missiles. You just keep them as cheap as possible. Yeah. Um, that's twelve shots per pursuit and the drones obviously hit at the ballistic skill of the um piranha while they're mounted yeah. so um you know you're hitting on fours if you have marker light support you could be hitting on threes re-rolling ones and you have this relatively cheap but durable for what they do unit with 36 shots if you have three piranhas mm-hmm. and they're right in the enemy face and it seems like the kind of thing where maybe they feel like they could ignore it because it's just a bunch of, you know, a pulse rifle equivalent shots or something. But you could be chewing up infantry units with that all game if they don't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it, it can block in because they're relatively large, like sized model um, mm. for 
you know what they do they have that big broad front to them like a hammerhead shark's head or something mm. so you really can do sort of a geometric boxing type maneuver with them and block a lot of movement maybe more so than you would think a, a thing of that statistic you know of that profile would mm. be able to do so there's definitely that use for them and then the other use is if you give them fusion and seeker missiles they are such um even if they whiff and you don't do the damage you were hoping for they have become a thing that the enemy has to deal with because they can't afford to have three fusion guns and six seeker missiles floating around their their lines mm. it's just like it's too dangerous i don't think there's like any player that would just accept that being back there even yeah. if you're naturally hitting on fours and it's like you know, you need to get marker light support to make them really pop off or whatever. Mm. It's um, it's one of those things where like you cannot just let it sit. Um, so in that way, I think they're like they become a much better distraction card effects in that sense, where like they have to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, even if you don't do anything with them all game, they will take all the enemy fire until they're dead, mm. uh, because it's just too dangerous to have fusion sitting in your lines. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, so it's, it's basically like a toss up of like, what, what do you want to do with them? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that both serve a purpose. Obviously they become more expensive when you do them like that. Yeah. Um, but they do have the potential to mm -hmm. bring, I mean, like if you got lucky with six seeker missiles and three fusion, you could bring down a Bane blade or something. Yeah, um, I mean, with the right marker support, definitely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're chucking. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with this is going to fall, so you got full marker like quotes. So that you know, then hitting up, you, you just don't need the twos. Uh, right. And you know, technically, you know, a, you know, I'd say, I don't, I, I, I don't do math hammer, but mm -hmm. you know, let's say six seeker missiles. You know, five of those, five of those are going to go through with a proper marker like support. <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, so that's still five D6 shots at AP minus two strength eight. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's before the fusion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I uh, think. Yeah, that's um, that's a crazy amount. Um, it is. And even though it's a one shot thing, it's it's so threatening. Like, even after you've, you know, blown the seeker missiles, there it's just still too dangerous, I think, to leave three fusion around, especially if they've already crippled something to the point where like three fusion would easily finish it off. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just too, it's too perilous for, I think any player who is like savvy on a battlefield to leave something like that. And it's not like you're just going to delete the unit. I mean, they each have six wounds, you know, and their toughness five. It's mm. like, you do have to get through that. Yeah. Um, it's not like like we were talking about pathfinders where it's just like you point at them and they die yeah like you really do have to put effort into destroying three uh piranhas yeah um, and i'd say it's probably more versatile because of that because i mean i suppose um i mean the perfect example is i mean if you've got six um seeker missiles out three piranhas mm -hmm. um, whether you equip it with fusion or not um so say for another viable option you've got three piranhas sitting on the backfield that you can then use to harry or you know go for late objective grabbing 
Um, Those secret missiles have obviously got a stupidly good range of 72 inches. So basically, you don't have to worry about the range. You just have to worry about line of sight. Um, So with the proper Michaelite support, you're chucking, you know, you've got six seeker missiles. Now, if memory serves, that is the same quote that a Skyray has. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. So, and obviously, the piranhas don't degrade. Sky mm-hmm. does. Um, you know, obviously, it starts. Uh, the Sky Ray starts off with a three-up ballistic skill, but you know, you've got that degrading profile. Um, mm-hmm. And on top of that, you know, obviously, a Sky Ray gunship is a lot more of a bullet magnet. Yeah. Uh, um, so, and you know, with that said, you know, you know, even if you can manage to get one piranha out then, you know, you've still got to get the others before you're kind of neutering those seeker missile shots um, and stopping them from being a thing. So I'd say potentially it's more effective as well because you're chucking in more wounds. Uh, Piranhas are 6, 12, 18 by the power of maths. Um, Mm. You know, again, versus Sky Rays, got 14 wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 14. Um, So, yeah, yeah um yeah so you've got the maneuverability i think i think yeah like i say i think it's one of those often overlooked units i think it has a lot of versatility there and it should see it should be seen on the board more than it is yeah um yeah. so well, yeah so yeah. that's going to be one of my next purchases when i revisit <laughs> yeah yeah in addition to for me the sniper uh drone teams as we were yeah. discussing last time yeah um i definitely want to I want to experiment with those guys. So. Yeah, I think that I, I think they'll be again in the numbers. They'll be yeah, quite devastating. Their yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I look forward to using both of those units in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on to another incredibly sort of central and also very diverse unit to the Tau Empire: mm-hmm. uh, tactical drones, the little helpers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So the tactical drone, an incredibly ubiquitous sort of symbol of the Tau Empire, um, maybe one of the most hated things about them by the Imperium. Yeah, um, definitely one of the more iconic units. And again, and just something that's quite diminutive and um, you kind of think is just completely non-threatening. It's just this little little frisbee of AI and, and guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I... Uh, I, I I love these guys. I, I do too. Um, I mean, what's not to love about them? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, just the look of disdain on your opponent's face is kind of, you know, you're just going, oh, you think you're going to kill this battle suit, do you, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, a savvy opponent will always try and target the um, drones first anyway. Um, sure. So way when it brings the big guns, then, you know. But, you know, again, by playing it safe, um and cleverly um you can you know position your drones in such a way that you can use the ablated wounds to best effect um um, and just keep your battle suits alive um i love the fact that i mean i know you mentioned about like the marker drones and i do agree because i always bring marker drones as well as um piranhas as well as pathfinders and I use them in conjunction with each other, one for the castle element, one to go around with the battle suits, or a secondary castle which will hang around with the commander mm-hmm. with the drone controller. Um, so basically, it's just an extra mobile platform of Markalite support. Right. But 
as much as I love the marker drones, I just absolutely adore gun drones. Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just the amount of firepower they can just lay down um, in such, um, a, you know, in, by just like one 10 point model. Yep. Um, it's, you know, it's beastly um, and so, so good. Uh, and again, with the synergy that you can get with lots of other things um, can really punish um, a, a, a lot of units um, Absolutely. That, that you come across. Um, They've obviously got more versatility um, for the extra couple of points over a fire warrior. They've mm -hmm. definitely got the extra firepower at short range over a fire warrior. Oh, um, yeah. Um, um, they're tankier, they're faster. Mm -hmm. um, they really, I, I mean, again, it's just another one of those workhorse units, really, um, where just why wouldn't you bring them? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. they're they're incredible they have so much use i mean they're just ubiquitously useful i can't imagine a tau army that couldn't make use of them mm. um in in one of their three forms if not all three yeah um and you know you didn't even mention shield drones which with post codex rules where mm. they're ignoring mortal wounds on five up um or just i guess just wounds they're they ignore wounds on five up or something um, um yeah so i think a mortal wound a mortal wounds a um it's uh, yeah, right so i think uh, if um a mortal wound goes against a battle suit i don't yeah. think the drone can take it i think what happens is yeah no so with the mortal wounds thing um obviously a mortal wound is attributed to the drone um right. if uh they take one for the team um yeah with a shield drone they can still make that five up against that wound. Uh, right. So shield drones have a four up invulnerable save already. Yeah. And then they additionally ignore mortal wounds on a five up that they do take. So yeah. it's just, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> they can tank so much damage again on such a cheap platform. Mm. Um, and it's so much more like modular defense than just giving the unit itself a four up invuln or five up ignore wounds mm -hmm. um because that keeping it you know the way that you set up your army potentially your shield drone is affording that kind of survivability to multiple units mm -hmm. so you're paying for a benefit that in another army would just be on the one model but in the Tau armies, it allows you to put it on a bunch of models if you know, if you set up your army in a specific way. Mm. Um, and I think that's the beauty of drones in general. I mean, any any drone unit can do that. Any drone unit can be a ablative wounds for multiple units at the same time, which mm. is incredible um, on its own. But the shield drones additionally are so durable by comparison. Um, yeah. If you get lucky and you get cagey, it's like the amount of damage that they can absorb is so obnoxious. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, with lucky dice rolls, it can, they can be a real ass to move off the ball. <laughs> um, yeah. um, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I, I only actually have a couple of shield drones mm -hmm. that I ever put uh, sometimes with the commander. Yep. 
and that commander will also have iridium and it will also have a shield it, it basically um <laughs> um, I, I, my uh, one of the guys I played, Darren Gwynn, um, he I, he got really annoyed during seventh of this one commander because he would be having a radium, he'd have a shield generator, he'd have a couple of shield drones by him, and he'd be yeah. kitted out with fusion uh, blades um, and just a bucket of fusion, and I would I would march him up with um, some XV8s, yeah, and um, the amount of DACA and effort he had to put in just to remove everything around that <laughs> commander then just to have a really tanky commander that just wouldn't go down it, I, I used to do it not really caring whether he would survive but just knowing the amount of effort that he would have to put into it and frustration he would get um before he would go yeah um was was just worth it um <laughs> and um because it would just allow me to do other things i mean yeah. whether one or lost the game was kind of like by the by for me but it was just um it was just fun watching him get frustrated trying to take this guy down um yeah. uh so much so i named him commander tanky um <laughs> and um yeah no, it was just giggle it's always a giggle to do that um, yeah but um um Despite the fact I've got a couple, and sometimes I use those shield drones with the commander. For me, and it might be something I'm just not getting, or it might be just be my play style because I'm fairly aggressive with my tail. Yep. Um, but for the same points cost, because there is that ablative wound element and there is that five up kind of even then the shield drone ignores it, yep. which I do get because technically it can survive its points and make it more worthwhile every now and again if you're lucky right. if you're good with your dice rolls because mm -hmm. um, it is that one in three chance um, right. i always find personally i will always chuck a gun drone in where i can chuck a shield drone in. yeah uh, um only because there's shield gens you can usually tend to put elsewhere anyway um for the ones for the units you want to survive and right. it's just those four four assault shots per drone uh, i just find that too useful not to have on a 10 point model um you know if it takes the wound it takes the wound and you know you've got others but you know just that firepower that it can dish out if you need it to uh where a shield drone can't um i just provide i think provides just more utility um than that clutch five up ignores it um uh, yeah. For me, that's yeah, no, and and I actually don't really use shield drones in my my list either. Um, I I basically all all my drones are marker light drones. Mm. Um, so in my in my current list, um, sort of like my standard two thousand point list, uh, I run a brigade, uh, a tau brigade, and my fast attack choices are all units of marker drones. Um, <laughs> So I feel like it's like sort of a, you know, when you're building a Tau list, there's always this sort of like, there is a, a sweet spot. There's like a Goldilocks zone mm. for how many marker, how many points you're putting into marker lights in your mm. Tau army before it becomes cost prohibitive, but up to the point where you're getting enough to do what you need to do. Yeah. Um, so there's always this balance. And it's really tricky to find exactly where that should be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure people who are like super math hammery can just be like, oh, there's an exact number based on your list or whatever. But yeah. for me, I, I don't 
think about Warhammer like that. So yeah. um, for me, the dice cards are way too fickle. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just sort of go with my gut and go with what feels cool. And I just take uh, four squads of four marker light drones. And they generally just serve the purpose of sitting around my broadsides and um which one of them has a drone controller mm -hmm. and they just sit there and get their you know four up buff uh to hit and then they just light things up and then i can combine that with again i use Cecilia, so i drop the um that really long named stratagem where you can put one cp on like a, a big blanket of enemy units Mm -hmm. um and then my marker drones just start shooting into those things and they already have their re-rolling ones to hit and then you know you're then you can do the uplinked marker light thing and get another d3 i just feel like it's so much marker light support to have all those guys um yeah. and then basically the only other marker light in my list that i use regularly is the fire blade yeah. um he's a great way to like start off the shooting phase, I think, because he's that, you know, two up to hit and with Cecilia, he can reroll it. Yeah. Um, so he's a very tasty, I think, guy to always sort of kick off the beginning of your marker light bonanza. Yeah, um, that's, that's the way I always play it. Um, yeah, it will be it'll be the fire blade that always goes first. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. Awesome character, too. Um, yeah. We ever discuss HQ choices. Uh, he's super cool. Mm. But um, yeah, so um i feel like what this is really getting at though i feel like is that and I, we've already talked about marker drones a little bit because we were comparing the mm -hmm. pathfinders to them but i think what this is really getting at is just that like drones <laughs> however you take them i think are really good mm -hmm. um and really useful to your army um and also that the drone controller is like a really integral part of any list that's going to make heavy use of them yeah um, it, it, it does make them sing um and it is that synergy again that is so intrinsic with the tau empire uh decks um uh, all the units really um yeah um i totally agree and it's uh, the one thing that i always find with the markers is and i, I don't get me wrong i always take um i have two squads of four that i always bring mm -hmm. uh, um but I, again, I like to have my mark lights and spread out a little bit more different positions yeah. only because I tend to be more aggressive anyway in my play. Um, because obviously I play a lot of, a lot of battle suits and I play fast out enclaves, you know, yeah. solely. So because of that, and because I want to get further up close anyway, I just find for me and my play style, having that cast element of the pathfinders, then the forward elements with the marker drones, it just, yeah. uh, it just makes it work a little more. Yeah, no, it's it's super. That's yeah. super compelling. Yeah, and I think even when I have the sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say even when I have the commander with the drone controller and the two squads of four marker lights in the back with the rest of my army. Yep. It's that because they've got that mobility with that eight-inch move, and it's that mobile stable platform for the marker lights anyway. Yep. Um, they always can break off from that castle at any exactly. point. And 
and that I, I I just love that again that extra utility. So it's um it's an extra tactic within a tactic. So you've got that castle element, but then you've got that breakaway element that can just go right. Okay, stuff's moving in, so I'm gonna have to make you sing for it or divide your attention. So boom, take them away, and then all yep. of a sudden, at the last minute, your opponent then has to consider what they're gonna do about what element of that castle. Um, you know, do they split it between um, or, you know, do they actually take out the gun element, leaving the marker element to then move further back, which is more mobile and they can potentially outrun things or um, do they go for that? But at the cost of then getting blasted off the board by all the rest of your line troops, it's, um, yeah, yeah I, I just find it a great useful tool for me to have and the way I play. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. And, and I'll say to, to, like, to that point, and this is why I love, the marker light drone so much is that um you know one of the marker light tiers um is that you ignore the penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons um yeah. so i have actually completely like repurposed my gun line into like a seek and destroy force um in games where my opponent started reacting to my withering sort of defensive line by hiding Mm -hmm. um i was like oh well i'm gonna have to go out to them now and literally just because i had all this incredibly mobile marker light support my whole army just ignored any of its penalties for moving mm -hmm. like i was just moving forward and deleting things at the same rate because everything that i was targeting with marker lights was was also getting that that debuff of of my heavy stuff didn't have the penalty for moving and firing so it was like yeah it was just great like you know my whole my whole army had been set up in this big defensive backline castle thing and then my opponent just spread out he put everything behind walls and stuff he, mm. he wanted me to come to him and he thought that would be advantageous because when the tower drawn out from their gun line it, it can be you know perilous yeah but um but the way that because i had so much marker light support still it was like i moved forward and they would just the marker lights would all target something with these drones that were not suffering the penalty for moving and firing and then my broadsides were were stomping out and just still hitting things on three ups re-rolling ones and it was like it was just it was it showed how powerful you know the tau army is even on the move if you're synergizing properly mm, it's a beautiful um, thing. yeah yeah um and i i just i really i you know i like telling that story because i feel like people maybe feel like they have to play a static sort of gunline army with mm. the tau and i really feel like this book offers so much more than that um, it's very easy to fall into the trap of the mobile um not not the mobile sorry the static gunline tau yeah. Uh, which is what people hate about them a lot because it's just like, uh, it's a castle, uh, it doesn't move, uh, it's just going to delete everything. Right. And it has that, but it's just, I think if you're going to play it like that, you're missing out on half of the fun. I think so too. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's um, to, uh, yeah, just that extra utility, that extra movement, that. Uh, not movement, but mobility that is just inherent and it's hidden around everything. But yep. yeah, again, just such a great unit. And um, just again, just shines a light on, um, shines a marker light even on um, <laughs> just, just how good the tower can be. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. 
Yep. So yeah, that's drones. I think we're both obviously huge fans of the drones, and I think most Tau players are. They're just they're just so useful, mm. so ubiquitous, so useful, so multifaceted. Um, if you're not using them, you're doing Tau wrong. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yep. Mm. And that's uh, quite a different story from the next unit. Yeah. Um, that we'll be discussing, which is the Vespid Stingwings. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's that's an appropriate reaction i would say um core core stingwings um has have you ever seen these being used in a game no um i I, I don't know i'm sure there's some legendary fable in some old dusty tome somewhere in some (laughs) high library of some guy who's you know who used these and has actually bought them and painted them and you know um I, 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 all honesty even even from back in the day um i don't think anyone ever had these guys yeah um, or you know at least play with them more than once before going nah you're right um um i, I don't get wrong they've got this great element in the fluff that kind of you know shone this dark light on the towel and kind of you know yeah. or there could be this really kind of you know sinister you know 1984 like brainwashing dystopian orwellian element to them absolutely uh, yeah because you know obviously the first time they got released they were a bit too nice and fluffy um for some of the hardcore you know oh, everything needs to be covered in skulls um yeah. but um it's i don't know i just they they just don't have any real place, um, and it's it's kind of uh, the same with the crew to a degree. Mm-hmm. It's like I can see why they've gone to web store only and a lot of the things you can't get nowadays. But while the crew do still have a good meat shield kind of thing to them, and you know while they're not great in any particular way, they can provide a kind of synergy and support mm-hmm. um, with some of the things that they can also bring with them. The Vespids just don't really have it. Um, I mean, yeah, they can they can deep strike nine inches away, which is kind of the same as everyone else that can deep strike. But... Their gun isn't that great. It's an Assault 2, 18-inch strength 5. I mean, I suppose it's got AP minus 2 to it. Yeah, that's the best thing about the gun, is the AP, I would say. But, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, they're still only hitting on, you know, a a 4 out. I mean, yeah, with Markelite support, I suppose, that they can... But again, it's just there's everything that they can do you got it in other units that are better and have more synergy. I mean, that AP2 gun at strength 5 or 1 damage and a soft 2, yeah, you can drop drop something in and you can do that, but you've you know, you got that in battle suits. Mm-hmm. Good lord. Um, yep. um, yeah, the AP minus 2 is nice, but then on top of that, you know, for less points, um, you've got your um, breach squads. Um right. You know, which arguably have a better gun at short range. You know, if you're going to rush something up there, um, yeah. just you know, delete it. Um, 
you know, strength five, AP minus two, one damage versus I think a breach is strength six. Yeah, strength I six, AP minus two at the closest range with two shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, you kind of got it, you got it better there, really. Um, <laughs> you know, because their leadership's, I mean, what, five? Wow. <laughs> wow. It becomes eight with the leader. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just, I don't know. Yeah, they uh, just yeah it becomes eight, eight with the leader, but you know you you have them in a forward assault position. Really, you, you mm -hmm. know don't have the range and reach to you know you, you get get them to sit back and lay objective grab because they're not that survivable. They don't have really many wounds. Well, they don't have any wounds apart from just a single they come with. I mean, yeah, they're toughness four, but that's no great shakes, really. Um, yeah, I mean, they're not even as tough as a space marine. And yeah, so we all, need, we all see how easy they go down these days. So exactly, and it's like, yeah, I mean, they they got a tasty movement at fourteen inches. Uh, so you know, but. Yeah, just just everything else in the decks does it better um, for yep. what you need to use them for. Um, yeah, poor, poor, poor Vespids. Um, I feel like they're really the only example, at least the only glaring example of like hard internal balance issue with this book. Because I mm. feel like in general, the book has such great internal balance. Mm. Um, and not every army can say that, I think. Yeah. But I think it's just so glaring in the case of Vespid because of how good the rest of the book is yeah. uh, in regards to every unit interacting. It's like when you look at the Vespids, what is the point? Mm -hmm. I, I can't see why you would take It's not that they're awful. It's just why would you take them when you can compare them to anything else and they seem like a bad choice? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's like you said, it's not like they're awful. It's just that they're really goddamn awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, they have such a cool little story in the fluff um, yeah, you know, and have a place there. And you think that it would work, but it feels like, I don't know, like a GW board meeting uh, that just went on too long when they were kind of, you know, <laughs> talking about the Tau Empire when they kind of started out. Yeah. And, you know, it hit that point at like half three in the morning. They're all sitting around and, you know, just trying to spitball ideas. And, yeah. you know, someone was there just going, I know, insects. Right. Mind controlled insects, and and, and it's that last like throw bolt on kind of thing they kind of did, and just yeah, it was ill conceived and not very really well thought out. And the problem is that that was how they were like to begin with, and throughout edition after edition after edition, it's kind of like the laughing joke index. Yes, totally. Because uh, because no one you know, I mean, if you want to sell these things, like. Or just you know, just just make them good. You've had several editions to do so now. Um, failing that, you made them web store only. They're still fight, fail cast, and you know, in all honesty, no one's going to buy them. So mm -hmm. you, you just 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 remove them. You know, you know, you, just put them into that great um, filing cabinet in the sky, along with zotes and squats, and you know, <laughs> and that plastic thunderhawk. Um, yep. 
and just you know yeah just and just you know put a put a lid on it you know let them die with some some or they don't have any dignity let's say (laughs) (laughs) i i feel like they're a great idea like i i love the idea and i think what they were going for this is my guess Mm -hmm. um is that gw was going for the idea that the tau are not just a single race they're a coalition force Mm -hmm. of so many different cultures they're like a homogenized uh empire but Mm. the pro i think that they ran into a problem of being like oh well they can't just have crew then because that's just one thing yeah and they were thinking of like we need more stuff and maybe they even had a list of like other species that would make it into the tau empire and you know i think they've in previous editions they've had like maybe white dwarf rules or something for the human mercenaries fighting for Tau or something. Mm. Um, but, and, and that's a cool idea. Like I, I, I would honestly, I think rather the Tau have access to like human auxiliaries mm. than have Vespid. Yeah. But, I mean, human auxiliaries are much more talked about in Tau lore and fluff, uh, right. you know, to such an extent, because obviously Imperium of Man in comparison in the galaxy is so big compared to this one, it's an ugly planet. It's a <laughs> planet. And they've got these weird derpy helmets on and they've been given guns and a little bit of mind control and, and they got rules that suck. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So we're, we, we're agreed. Vespid should just crawl back to whence they came from and, and just not be a thing really. Yeah. So in <laughs> conclusion about the Vespids, gun drones are awesome. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Um, I think that's enough about Vespids. It's clear. I, I think anyone listening to this, just don't buy them. Uh, they're not easy to buy anyway, so don't even worry about it. Yeah. Um, continue I, letting them be hard to buy. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and, I mean, yeah, just, just like drugs, it's just like the kids <laughs> to Vespids, just say no. <laughs> it's not worth the effort to get yeah. into that world. Yeah. Um, I, I do agree. Um, I'm in total agreement with you about them because I also agree that it it hinted at this sort of darker side of the Tao Empire, and I really liked that. Mm. Um, but obviously, I, I even like that it's just a tease. I like that there's no like outright explanation of what's going on there. Mm. Um, I, I really like the subversive sort of like, what are they, what's the Empire really up to? What are they capable of? How dark can they get? Yeah. Um, and you know, we can't, we can't know until they explain more, but I like that it's left sort of ambiguous. And I like the Vespid as like an example of how dark they might go. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's really the only, like, honestly, I think the Vespid could just be like throwaway line in the fluff. Yeah. And you would never have to actually see them or see models or anything. And that'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the Demiurgra thing as well in the in the law, um, you know, squats Mark, yeah. Mark II, however you want to call them. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Demiurgra thing in the in the law, they don't have a model range in the Tau army. Great. So, exactly. you know, yeah, Vespin didn't really need it. No. Uh, you know, the fact that they have survived through so many editions of this fine game and um, still no one ever uses them, it's, it's like... <laughs> It's just like it's a waste of paper. 
It is. They're, they're persistent, I guess. I'll give them that. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're definitely persistent. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, like a true swarm of insects. They just yeah. don't leave you alone when you want. Them. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, it, maybe that is the joke. That's yeah, our, maybe they're just like an infestation. It, it, they are cockroaches. They just you, you know you just you just can't get rid of them. You cannot get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what you try, they'll just just survive anything. Doesn't matter how much you slander them. Doesn't matter how much no one buys them. <laughs> Still hang around. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the vested. Uh, you know, pass hard pass on them. Yeah, hard pass. Um, and then the last thing here for fast attack is just the crew hounds. Mm. Um, so we talked a bit about Kroot in the last episode about elites. Um, we talked about the shapers and the Kroot hounds. I mean, uh, Krutoks. Yeah, the Krutoks, yeah. Um, um, yeah, this is, um, again, this is, I want to hate these guys, but I can't because they're Kroot and Kroot are <laughs> awesome. Um, and the fact that they still have a range, it's like, I, again, like everything crew in the decks now, I mean, has been for a while, has yeah. suffered a bit. But I mean, in its own right, because there's the hounds, the crew talks, there's, you know, the shaper, there's a the crew themselves. And that's before you get to the Forge World units like uh, the Narlock Riders and stuff like that. Um, you know, I mean, if you wanted to flesh it out enough and have a crew element in your Tau army, there's some versatility there. Um, and because, um, you know, I mean, each has a different role, you can use that, and they kind of almost still have a synergy of their own, um, which I think works, yeah. Um, you know, and I think kind of for a cheap, fast attack unit, Root Hounds, no, yeah, they are an outsider. Uh, grant me that because again, Web Store, I think they're again on fail cast still. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love for Crew to get like a new range and their, their own mini decks. Oh, it'd be amazing, yeah, 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 that would be that, that, that would make me very, very happy. I think mm -hmm. it would make lots of Tower players quite happy. Um, but um, I think Crew Hounds could. I don't know. I mean, again, it's not something that is typical of a Tau army, but I think, you know, with movement 12, with, you know, granted not a very high strength attack, but the fact that they can chuck out two each mm -hmm. um, and also at AP minus one for certain, um, certain horde armies, I yeah. think they can be a great neutering element that you could just rush up oh uh, yeah because they are cheap 12 inches hitting on three strength three and you know with a lot of the horde armies like guard demons um orcs not yep. so much because they're toughness four uh, yeah. but with enough of them um you know you can you can bog down or whittle down a fair chunk to act as a nice to be you know close combat speed bump and that could hopefully take quite a few out because, you know, two attacks each, um, especially even kind of, you know, AP minus one, even with Guardians, uh, Elder Guardians and stuff. I mean, obviously, they have to take the Overwatch, so that's probably going to delete them. But, um, you know, the, if they survive that Overwatch, they can they can be pretty vicious, I think. Yeah, uh, I think so, too. Kind of, you know, that, that light infantry kind of, you know, um, kind of counter. Uh, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. That's okay. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the only thing. 
And again, it's, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's just one of those things. I mean, do you have any opinion on them? Yeah, so I think that crude hounds are maybe one of the more useful, like, augmentative aspects to crude. Like, if you're going to take crude at all, I think they're probably, like, a good companion unit to take with carnivores. Hmm. Um, be if only because they give you the option to get into combat better. So hmm. if you're taking crude at all, you're already making an interesting decision, I would say, because... Crew, again, they they're incredibly cool, but I think that their their purpose feels uh, wanting in in the face of your other options in the army, because mm -hmm. you know typically crew are thought of as like a frontline uh, shield slash light outflanking unit slash scouting unit um, slash light assault unit. So yeah. like. You would think of Kroot as they want to close ranks and get in close and fight in combat. But Kroot aren't even, like, that good in combat. Yeah. Um, um, and it is. It's kind of one of those things. Even with the the stratagem that no one ever uses because you don't see Kroot that often. You've got that right. um, one CP one in hunting grounds. Yes. Um, where if you get a Kroot Hound unit completing a charge... Um, you can re-roll fell charges for other friendly crew units that are within 12 inches of the crew hound unit. Yep. So crew can move fast. Obviously, then they're outpaced with a crew hound. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, so again, it's kind of one of those clutch um, kind of stratagems in the decks where, right. it, you know, if you take enough crew and enough numbers, it might be helpful. But, you know, sure. it's not. A very good stratagem to use as um, a tactic in a in a town army, right? Because you're then having to commit an awful lot of points to crew, which arguably aren't great in close combat, unless you want to just hold up guardsmen or yep. the elder fire, uh, you know, uh, guardians or something where they're not particularly the best in close combat either. Yeah, um, if, you, if you take big enough, you know, mobs of crew you can tar pit the enemy. Yeah. Um, and right. in that regard, I think that's maybe the most useful thing Crute can really do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think Crute Hounds are maybe the most useful auxiliary to just regular Crute is that mm -hmm. they give them the potential to tar pit more, uh, at least sooner. Mm -hmm. um then they may be able to otherwise because they get you know with that one cp you get the the rerolls to charges and the crude hounds can reroll charges anyway if yeah. the unit they're targeting you know fail to save earlier in the turn mm -hmm. so it's you know i think it's they're smelling blood on the air or something they get they get excited yeah. um <laughs> so that i think is a really cool rule that again the problem is just that you're taking them in the context of the tau codex and then you think oh well they don't look good but if they were their own thing mm. and you were basing your troops around just taking like you know a hundred crude carnivores then mm. i would say why not take you know 20 crude hounds to back them up or whatever yeah. and um they really do i think serve maybe more of a function than i what i mean to say is i think they augment the crude in a useful way yeah um so if you're going to take crude at all and in numbers, mm -hmm. um, then I think crude hounds are worth 
taking. Uh, I just think that if you're doing that, you're already making like a very, very specific life choice. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of players would question it or just not do it. So, um, you know, with a grain of salt, bearing in mind that it's like, you're really just going all out on Kroot because you love Kroot that much. Mm -hmm. Um, then yeah, I think Kroot Hounds are worth taking in that, in that context. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, so yeah, so let, let, let's start the petition, everyone, people of the world, you know, hashtag make crew great, great again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag make crew great again. They, they deserve to be great. Um, they're, I think they're a really cool idea for an army. Um, and I think that their strength, unfortunately, just because their stats are so mediocre, their strength really just lies in, in numbers. Mm. Um, and if you're putting that many crew on the field, then you're taking away from your Tau yeah. and it's just a, it's a sad trade-off. So yeah, mm. it is. yeah. yeah it is. It's a, it, it is a sad, it, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, um, I, I don't have a, a an analogy, analogy that's not disgusting or rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it is a sad trade-off. It is, it is the sad hand job with the codex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. That's a that's a proper analogy. I would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You, you you're doing yourself a disservice because <laughs> there's so much good in the decks. Just uh, it's just a shame that there's just redundant bad stuff that they don't quite know what to do with yet, or yeah. just don't have the guts to actually just remove. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but never mind. <laughs> And, you know, that's, you just got to live with it. I mean, the, the, it's certainly better than the alternative, which is to not have good units at your disposal in your book. Um, And I think some codexes maybe are suffering from that. Certainly more than the Tau. Tau has some great options. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if the, the trade-off is that you have a few extra useless units in there, eh, so be it. But the fact that it's crude and you want crude to be great, that does make it sad. Yeah. Um, so let's hope for the future that, mm. uh, that they do something about that. Mm. Yeah. We can live in hope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the fast attack choices for the Tau empire. Mm. Um, I think there's a, this actually does demonstrate that the fast attack slots have some of their most important units, especially the drones. Um, Pathfinders are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vespid don't exist. Yeah. And the Piranhas, I think, are an underrated unit and certainly underutilized. Mm. Yeah, completely agree. And it is. It's uh, it's nice to cover such um, an area of the Tau Codex that just has so much of its flavor. Really, the you know that you know is what the the entire race is known for. Um, yeah. You know, it is the source of the Markalites, which is, you know, a big bugbear and hatred to, you know, the Imperium and some 40k players at large. Um, And yeah, um, there's just a nice little versatile bunch of units in there that um, I think, um, you know, bar bar obviously those insect guys, um, you know, have have definitely a good use in the the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to delete everything. And it has that, but... It's just thank you so much, Noel, for joining me again. You're missing out on half of the fun. I think so too. 
Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Coverage of the Tau Codex will not be done here. We'll be back very soon with another episode about a different portion of the Tau book. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I look forward to talking to you about that just as much as I did this. Likewise. All right. Thanks again uh, so much, everyone, for listening in. And um, if you guys want to hear us talk about something specific, mention in the Discord if you would like to. We're always looking for things to talk about, and we have a million things to talk about. Mm -hmm. So if there's something specific you'd like to hear, Noel and I, I'm sure, would love to discuss it. Yeah. Um, and he had a lens, but you know, we can we we, we can put it to recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so uh yeah, there's that. Uh also for those who don't know somehow, I feel like it's popped up more and more that I find out people only realize that this channel is one is they think it's one thing and mm -hmm. it's many things. So uh let me uh set the record straight here for you who, who only think this is a podcast. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel with uh, battle reports, narrative battle reports, um, with a, a running campaign, uh, a lengthy story that is being uh, told across the course of all the, the games that we're playing, um, which I think is pretty cool. So hopefully you would too if you check it out and you're into bat reps. Um, and More we also, what's that? <laughs> More than pretty cool. Oh. I'd go as far as to say it's awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, you're awesome. So I <laughs> hope that you're a good judge of what else is awesome, too. Um, so there's that. And we also have the Discord, which is completely free. You're welcome to join and uh, chat with some amazing people. It's becoming pretty hopping up in there, actually. Um, so that's a really cool place. Everyone is super supportive and friendly there. And we would love to have you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, pretty much all social media. So look for us wherever you frequent, and uh, we will probably be there. Uh, again, thanks so much for listening, and uh, until next time, goodbye. See you later. <laughs>